Heavenly Father, you are good. As we approach you this morning, we just remember how good you've been, not only throughout the course of our own lives, but how you've been so good throughout the course of history when you laid the foundation. You're thinking about us and knowing that we would stray away from you. You found a way to reconcile us back to you. And for that, you are so good. We are so thankful that we have the opportunity to have a relationship with you that we get to spend time with you, that you speak to us through your word, that when we uh, on our knees in prayer, that you are loving and faithful enough to hear and listen to our prayers, that you continue to use us, you continue to shape us and mold us. It's amazing that you spoke and the universe leapt into existence, but you would still seek to use people like us as feeble, as imperfect, as messed up as we are. You loved us so much that you gave your one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life everlasting. We thank you that we, not only that we get to have a relationship with you, but for forever and eternity we get to do so. Father, won't you continue to show us how much you do love us Remind us how much you are worthy. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, won't you turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning? We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And as you do so, I kind of want you to think we're celebrating the Johnsons today, 40 years of marriage. Um, I wonder if many of us, especially those of you who are married, remember your first love. If you think back, and, and I'm sure the Johnsons can tell us many stories of their, their courtship and what that looked like for them, and there probably some, some butterflies that, that took place, and um, uh, going the, the extra mile, going above and beyond to to, to make sure that you, you got in, in, in their face and they were able to see something in you, that they might be able to see a life together with them. Uh, do you remember your first love as you're thinking about this? And maybe you're not married, but I mean, thinking about even just running around in, uh, uh, in school at recess and, you, you know, your first crush, you know, remember that? And you tried to to, to make, as, as, a, as a boy, right, you want to go out and do a recess and make sure you kick the ball the farthest or, you know, you're out playing basketball and you want to show off in front of, uh, you know, some of the girls that might be to the side. And it looks very different as we get older. Uh, but we're still out trying to impress those that we might have a, trust on, uh, have a crush on. And as you think about that, Today, we just think about how good God is and what he's done for us, how he's worthy of all those things. Today, we're going to talk about the Christian's first love. What did that look like? What did that look like for you? How does it typically look for those who fall in love with Jesus? They encounter him for the first time, understand who he is and what he's done, and they just fall head over heels. We understand that he first loved us, and so we love 
him, what did that look like for you when you first encountered Jesus? You know, as we look at the world today, we can see and it's very apparent that something is absolutely wrong with the world as, that we're living in today. The world that we see today is not the way that it was supposed to be. You know, we have the, the deaths, we have disease, we have terrorism, there's war, poverty, crime, pollution, oppressive governments, hatred, all kinds of different hardships. We could be here all day talking about how messed up this world is that we're living in. But throughout scripture, we see God work in bringing about a redemption. What I just talked about, he, he, he redeemed us and, and the scripture tells us how he did so. And he, he provides for us salvation from sin through the work of Jesus' life and his death and resurrection. This is something that we should be so grateful for, that what we deserve that we don't get because of what Jesus did for us. But as we talk about the work of salvation, it won't actually be complete until Jesus returns and redeems all of his creation from the curse of sin. That's what we have to look forward to. Therefore, we, we have to look forward to that our king is going to come and we get to rule with him. Many people are intrigued by the book of Revelation. Some people got really excited. Oh, we're in Revelation today? People get really excited when we talk about the book of Revelation and um, because of the discussion that is contained in it about the end of the world and the apocalyptic imagery, everybody gets tied up in, in all that kind of stuff. Are we in the last days? What's going to happen? And what does this thing mean? Is this, could this happen tomorrow? However, the book of Revelation is actually about God's final act of redemption and doing away with all the effects of sin by making all things new. Like I talked to you a minute ago, like if, if we were to, to start this church over again, we didn't have this 50 year history and we were to make uh, plant a new church, what would that look like for us? Well, when Jesus comes back, He's going to make all things new. The, the world that is so messed up here today, it will totally be made new when he returns. As you read through Revelation or any book of scripture for that matter, um, we need to uh, read, read it and understand that um, we need to major on the majors and not major on the minors. I think sometimes we get wrapped up because there, there's so many, so much imagery in, in Revelation. There's so many things, and there's books written about it, and the Bible codes, and all this different kind of stuff written about, trying to interpret what's here. But we miss the point of the entire book because we're distracted by all the things that we don't get or understand, and it's, it's fun to imagine. But there are things in Scripture that are very clear, and there is no dispute about it. Right, there's, and we, we, we see this, I think Peter said, you know, hey, there's, there's stuff that's hard in, in the scripture, you know? And so, but we need to uh, uh, understand and look at the things that are very clear in scripture and look at those things. Not to say that um, the things that are harder are less important, 
But if you're not confident enough in the Bible, if you're not confident enough in the gospel to share it with others, well, then you don't need to be spending your time worrying about the rapture. Right? If you don't understand and you're not spending your time in discipleship, you don't need to be concerned about matters that aren't as clear. We need to major on the majors and not major on the minors. Get the, 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 the clear stuff down first. You've you got to do algebra before you do, you do calculus. You can't just jump into calculus like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm going to figure it out if you don't know the basics. Right? So, not to, again, not to say that none of that stuff is unimportant, but I'm saying get the, get the, the clear stuff down first and then you will progress, and it'll help you to understand what the, the th some of the things that are less clear. Because once you have a, a solid foundation, now I can understand better what it's saying here in Revelation and the New Testament for that matter. I mean, when you know the Old Testament, and then you start reading through the, the New Testament, like, oh, I get it now. Oh, I understand how this built up into where they are in this day in, in Acts and so forth in the Gospels and in, in even in Revelation. So Revelation um, chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. We'll be in verses 1 through 8. Revelation 2 verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the Christian standard this morning. It says here in God's word, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the good tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The book of Revelation here was written to churches in Asia Minor, and um, this was written around 95 to 96 AD. And at the time, believers were being persecuted. They were being oppressed. And we'll be discussing these, these letters to, that was written to, to Christians in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And these are, um, if you look at a map today, these are cities that we find in present-day Turkey. The author here identifies himself as John and is believed to be by the early church fathers to be the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John as well as the three epistles. 
So John here is writing to encourage the people in this, these cities, and he's praying that they, were, they would remain faithful. They had to stand against hardships and attacks from their culture constantly. And they had to choose between compromising what the world is telling them versus what God has told them to do and how to be committed to Christ. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes I read scripture and I wonder, man, this, this could have been written yesterday. This could have been written last year. We still deal with these issues that are coming up in the texts. So during the series, we're, gonna, we're just going to focus on these seven churches. We're not going to go through the entirety of Revelation. Sorry to disappoint you. But I think this is going to be pertinent to us. As we've journeyed through um, the book of Acts, and then um, we, we did Nehemiah, this is going to be pertinent for us as we think about who we are as individuals and who make up the church, and also as a local body of believers and, and what God has called us to do here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. So I hope that it will be edifying to you. So here, when we start out in, in, the, uh, in chapter 1 of, of Revelation, or chapter 2, I'm sorry, of Revelation, it says, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven lampstands. So it starts out as being addressed to an, an angel. Now, this, this angel that's being referred to is unclear. You know, this is one of those things where we would get really wrapped up, like, oh, who's this angel? What's, what's this angel about? Um, it's up for debate whether this would be a human messenger. The, the, the definition, the translation of angel is messenger. So it could be a human messenger. It could be a, a pastor. Or it could be literal angels that were sent as messengers or even a personification of each church's identity. You know, this has been debated year over year for decades, and it's not clear in the text exactly what this means. But instead of getting wrapped up to that, I, I want to make sure that we continue to read to understand what the point is. So we're, 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 we're understanding and certain that this message comes from the risen Christ who is described as holding the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the lapstands. This paints a picture for us uh, that Jesus is present among his churches, and praise God for that. He, he hasn't left us anywhere. He's still present among his churches, and he has concerns for them, and he cares for them. I don't know where we would be without Christ being with us, without having the Holy Spirit infused in us and guiding us, directing us as to where we should go. So he knows what's going on with his people. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work and I know your perseverance. You see, the church in Ephesus were, they were being commended for their faithful works. They were doing a good job as a church by and large. They were doing the things that they, they needed to do. This church was active and working in alignment with God's mission. And we know that works don't save, but we also know that we need to be careful to maintain good works. Titus 3 and 8 says, this saying is trustworthy. 
I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. So uh, a true Christian is going to work for the Lord. And, and I'll go on and boldly say that, um, that if you're not working for the Lord, if you're not serving God's people, then you might need to do some introspection. You might want to look at your own life and what it is that you prioritize in it and understand where your love is. Because if you're not doing any of the things that God has called you to do, I often say this is not, uh, you're taking your place in, in the pew is not a check mark to get you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. This is a place where we come together to be equipped to do the work that he's called us to do. Matter of fact, the realization of what Christ has done for us would cause us to do the work that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2 and 10 makes this very plain, very plain for us, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Isn't it, isn't it cool to know that we are his workmanship, that, that we're his, his handiwork? And, and we all know God doesn't make mistakes. And he's using you and through your uniqueness to do the works that he's prepared before you to do. The reformer Martin, Martin Luther is quoted as saying, man is saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. That makes it clear for us. That helps us to understand. Jesus here in the text is saying, look, I know your works, but for some people, the lack thereof. Jesus is there and he understands what's going on. And to the Ephesus, he says, hey, I know you won't tolerate evil people. You see, this church had a high standard. They wouldn't just let anybody come and preach from the pulpit. They didn't expect to, they didn't, or they didn't accept worldly uh, things to come in and creep in and allow them to change course and, and set the standard for their church. Or they refused to let people who were living in immorality take on leadership roles. They're like, no, we're not having any of that stuff. This is what God says. This is the doctrine that we uphold. This is what we're going to do. And so people who are outside of this, they want to color outside the lines. That's, we can't add to the scripture. We can't take away from it. This is, we can't allow this to happen because it's going to lead people astray. Paul had already warned Ephesus, by the way, about false teachers. This was something that was rampant not, not only is it, was it rampant then, it's rampant now, these, these false teachers. But he warned them in Acts 20 and 28. He says, be on guard for yourselves and, and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to the shepherd of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, check this out, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth 
to lure the, the disciples into following them. Man, we got we to gotta be vigilant. We got to understand what we've been called to, who we've been called to, and what we've been called to do. Because we got savage wolves today is looking to lead us astray. And, and unfortunately, is they're being successful. They're letting the world seep in and, and guide the way we think and what we do. So we've got to be careful. But I, I love the way it comes in. It says, um, and again, in verse 2, it says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. Man, you know what? I wish I was a fly on the wall. <laughs> When, when some of these guys came in and tried to pass themselves off as apostles. Wouldn't there be something? They're, they wouldn't tolerate it. They come in and like, uh, uh, hey, I'm Apostle Sanders, good to meet you. Man, get out of here, you ain't no apostle. Get out of here with that mess. Get, who you think, apostle? Get out of here. When they, I'm just, maybe I'm adding to, but that's what I'm imagining, like, hey, we're not having that in here. This is not going to take place. And we, we, to be honest with you, we need more churches today to stand up to be doctrinally pure. We need more churches to stand up and call what's right, right, and what's wrong, wrong. We, we need to, some people to, to stand up and just say what thus saith the Lord. You don't have to add all this. You know what? I, I, I was been talking to some people uh, um, these past few weeks and you know they will go into churches they're telling me and some don't even open up the scripture they don't they don't open up the book and, and if they do they, it's just a prologue they, they come in and they, this is a scripture and they close the book and they go on and talk about some other stuff and telling story no that's that's missing the point look i you know i'm not very charismatic i'm not you know there's nothing cool about me at all whatsoever Right, so you, you, I don't got no stories. All I know is Christ and him crucified. And that's what I'm here to do, is, is, is have God speak to you through his, his word. I got nothing else otherwise. But this is what we need. How are we gonna live for God and we don't know God? How are we gonna do what he says and we, we haven't even opened up the text to, to, to know what he's called us to do? What God has already done for us. We got these wolves coming in, savage wolves, so the text says, to come and lead us astray. And we got to be able to call what's right, right, and what's wrong, wrong. Here in Ephesus, they stood up for what was right, even though they faced hardships. They knew people weren't going to like it. You know, so these, these so-called apostles came in and like, oh, they think they better than I am. And coming in telling me I ain't no apostle. I, man, I talked directly to God, and he told me to tell them, That, that happens. It continues to happen today. But look, it's like, I don't care what you say. I don't care who you go to and talk to about this. But we are about God and his business. And if it interferes and strays from that, then we don't want no part of it. And that's how they were. They remained patient and did not grow weary. Let me tell you, it gets hard when you get bombarded with all these different things that are coming up. It's tiring to deal with it. But it's necessary, it's necessary to get back on the, the narrow path and make sure that we're going in the right direction. 
a couple weeks ago I talked about the 80-20 rule where 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. And it's, it's unfortunate that this also happens here in the church. But we should remind ourselves of why we do the things that we do and who it is that we do it for. We need that reminder constantly. But instead, the enemy will sneak in and, and we start thinking, man, I'm the only one doing this. Look at them over there. They, they just come in and sit down and they don't even, they don't help me, they don't help them. Next thing you know, you're, you're tired and weary. Like, you, I, just forget it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Nobody cares about the work that I'm putting in. And they're over here doing their own thing. How dare they? The enemy comes in and it starts you to, to think in these different things and help, makes us to get tired and, and weary and we lose patience. Uh, this reminds me of a story that I heard about a woman who went to the pastor and told the pastor, hey, this, this group of people over, over there, they're in a clique and they're always gossiping. I can't stand it. They always come in here and they're getting around. They don't talk to anybody else. They don't serve. They don't do this. They don't do that. They just want to stand up in here and, and gossip and do nothing else. So the pastor goes and I says, I'll be right back. And he, he gets a, a glass of water and he fills it to the very, very top. And he gives it to her and says, um, I, I, can you do me this favor? I want you to take this glass of water and walk around the sanctuary 10 times without dropping any water. So she's confused, but okay, I'll try it. I don't know what this means, but I'll do it. So she takes the water and carefully, she's walking slowly and walking and does a, you know, a circle. And she finally gets 10 times around the sanctuary and she get I did it. Here, here's the glass bag. So what was that all about? And the pastor says, did you notice who was gossiping while you were carrying that water? Did you notice the, any, anybody not, not doing things that you would expect them to do? What, what did you notice when you were carrying that water around the sanctuary? She's like, I, I was so focused on not dropping the water that I didn't notice anything. So then a nice way, the pastor said, mind your business. <laughs> you worry about what God has called you to do. And you do that. You mean to tell me God has given you a gift and you're not going to use that gift because of what somebody else is doing or not doing? I mean, we can go through the, the, the parable of the talents and, and all those things and what that looks like. God has gave you something to do. And he wants you to be obedient to him and do what he's called you to do. And in the meantime, mind your business and focus on what you've been called to do. And not to say that we can't go and encourage those other people. Maybe, you know, break up those, have them understand, like, hey, we, we don't gossip around here, right? Or, or, you know, hey, we need some more hands to do some of the things that we need to do. Yes, but by and large, make, make sure you're doing your stuff. Take the plank out of your eye first before you talk about somebody a speck in their own eye. As we look at this, and Ephesus is doing all the things. Ephesus is going, they're, they're serving, 
They're loving the Lord, but they weren't perfect. They didn't have all their stuff together. Verse 4 says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. What does that mean? Basically, the, the honeymoon's over. Basically, hey, you started out really well. You started out on fire for the Lord, and it's waned. It's died down. Even though they still love the Lord, over time, that love had faded away, and they just didn't love, them, love him like they used to. It wasn't as strong as it was at first. Again, for those of you who are married and, you know, remember when you fell in love with your spouse and all the little things that you did for them or when you were dating somebody, you know, all the things that you did, you wanted to be there for them and do extra for them, go above and beyond to show your affection for them. I remember a distinct shift in my relationship with Libby, um, at our university, we were in the commons one day, and I remember us just sitting together, um, and she turns to me and says, so, um, what are we doing? Like, well, we are sitting in Brady Commons, having a conversation. <laughs> She's like, you know what I'm talking about. What, what are we, you and I, what are we doing here? I mean, are we boyfriend or girlfriend, or what's happening, what's going on, the, the talk? And, you know, as, as we talked it through, I'm like, yeah, I'm not seeing anybody. You're not seeing, I'm not seeing anybody. So, I mean, we're, we agreed in that moment that we would be committed to one another and, you know, explore having a life together for the rest of our lives. At that moment, we, we both um, were, were looking toward making, making a life together and, and a family. And, and I think for me, and I, you can ask her later, it's, there was a shift for me, right? Okay, this is real. This is, okay, there's something going on, right? This is some love building. And, and I want to do whatever I can to serve her so that we, we can be together. And it was, it was exciting for me. Like this because, you know, I hadn't had anything like that before. So it was exciting. You know, as a pastor, I get excited also about counseling people who are about to get married. You can just see the love ooze from their eyes. They just get just so excited, even in the hard stuff. Oh, babe, you know, it's okay. It's all right. And we'll work through it. And, you know, it's, it's so cool to see that love that, that, that uh, blossoms in that. But we always talk about how great the honeymoon period is, right? So we, we go from that courtship uh, portion into being married and sharing life together. And there's a honeymoon period that, that takes place. Um, and most of us have been married for any time that that honeymoon period doesn't last. It's different than um, the first year than it is the, the fifth year and the 10th year and so on and so forth. Is that right? It's a little, little different, right? The 40th year. But the realization is the honeymoon period doesn't have to end. The honeymoon period does not have to end. What happens is that we, life starts to happen. When we, when we think about love, we tend to think about it as a feeling. But love, in actuality, is an action. It's an action that you choose 
over and over and over again. Because I know I'm personally not lovable all the time, but I praise God that Libby chooses to love me because sometimes it's hard. Love is in action. So what happens when we stop doing what we did when we first got married? When life gets in the way, you get a new job, start working longer hours, you pick up some hobbies, hobby, uh, extracurricular things, and they start to get in the way, and all of a sudden you can't eat dinner together. Uh, maybe you're not being able to pray together or read your scripture together. And then you have kids, and kids get, kind of take over everything. And your, your focus and attention is on your children, and as opposed to making sure that we have regular date nights, that we're spending the quality time together. After a while, we realize that the honeymoon is over and we love our spouse less because of all the stuff that we filled our, our life with. This is exactly what happened in Ephesus. Even though they were doing a lot of good work for God, that work became the thing that they were doing and they forgot who they were doing it for. They forgot why they were doing the work. They, they forgot why they were serving. They forgot who they were serving. And they just got consumed with the programs. Well, we got to do these things because we do it every year. And we, we got to have this many people. We got to have this many people working and helping out so that it can be successful. All the while, they're more invested and involved in the program and not invested in the people. Not invested in who they are doing the programs for. They still love Jesus, but it wasn't anything like it was at first. And the reason I know that they love Jesus is because nobody does work like that if they, they don't love. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nobody goes that extra mile if there's no love at all whatsoever there. People that don't love Jesus wouldn't even consider doing the things that they did. So there was some love there. However, over time, they were more focused on the work while forgetting the object of their service and the worship. And I see this happening with people who seem to love doctrine. They want to stand up and have uh, discussions, arguments, whatever it is, debates about their doctrine but they forget who the doctrine is about. They forget why we have that doctrine. They forget about the author of it. But they, they want to stand on their stance and argue and debate their stance backward and forward, but they can't love their brother. What sense does that make? Here's what I want us to be thinking about at First Baptist Bolingbroke. Here's something that I want us to be known for, and it's found in Jude 3, where it says, contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. Let's go in and trumpet what God has said, but not forgetting about talking about who God is and what he's done. I pray that we would be known for growing our relationship in Jesus Christ, thriving as a body of believers and serving Bolingbroke and the greater community. I would love 
for the, the community to be, to be reflecting that back to us. They might not say it in these words, but they will be telling us, man, that, that church just loves Bolingbrook so much. They just love the people in the community, and they just, they seem to love being together, doing whatever it is they're doing. They just love each other, and they love others. I would love to be able to hear that from the community. You know, if we as a church would remember our first love, our first love with Christ, then I imagine we wouldn't have an attendance problem here when it comes on Sunday mornings. You know, if you love Jesus, you're going to love his church and you're going to love being with his people and you're going to love to attend worship. And it'll be on your mind, it'll feel like something's weird, something's missing, something's off if you're not able to come and, and worship with your brothers and sisters and be able to come and, and give God the praise he rightly deserves. Something will feel off. I imagine if we remembered our first love, there wouldn't be a, a giving problem. When I decided to propose to Libby, I, I nearly drained my bank account. I was in a poor, broke college student but I knew I wanted to marry her. I knew I wanted to get her a ring, so I'm like, you know, let me, what you got for this much? <laughs> you know, that's how much I, I wanted to be with her. And it, it wasn't much, but it's what, what I could afford. But it was my expression of love to her, of what I was willing to do. You know, if we remembered our first love, I imagine we wouldn't have a serving problem. If we remembered our first love, we wouldn't have to beg people to help us rebuild our children's programs or the nursery, the technology, work in hospitality, or whatever needs to be done around the church. If we remember our first love, I don't think we would have a problem. I imagine if we remembered our first love, we wouldn't have a problem with evangelism. If we remembered who Christ is and what he's done for us, then we can't help but to tell people about it. If we remember where we came from, what he saved us from, we will be on fire and want everybody to know it. And we'll be on the hilltops shouting it. This got me to thinking as I was going through this this week. Um, you remember when... Uh, uh, Jesus is asking Peter if he loved him. It's an amazing piece of the text in John 21, verses 15 through 17. If you don't remember, here's just what happened. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he responds, yes, Lord. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. And he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Imagine having this conversation, all right? Put yourself in this conversation. Having it with Jesus, having it with anybody else. What if somebody kept asking you the same question? I just told you. Well, maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're asking. I mean, can, can you make it more plain to me? Yes, I love you. A third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this is what Peter's feeling. It says Peter was grieved that he asked a third time. 
do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's interesting about this, something I want you to notice, is that Jesus didn't ask Peter if he loved the lambs or the sheep. For us, you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to go to that part of the neighborhood. I don't really care for those people. I don't want to put myself in harm's way or this person did this to me or they don't, they don't help in any, any other way. They don't help me, so I'm not going to help them. Jesus said, do you love me? Then do this. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, shepherd my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love Jesus, you would tell people about him. If you love Jesus, you would serve in the church. If you love Jesus, you would care for the poor and oppressed. Jesus would say, if you love me, you would come and sit in a pew. I want us to get this. I want us to really ask the question of ourselves, is Jesus really a priority for me in my life? And if he is, what should my life look like? There's things that I do for my wife because I love her so much. And it might not even be the things that I want to do or choose to do on my own, but because of who she is, I do them because I love her. You magnify that, multiply that by infinity and you look at what Jesus has done for you. you. You look at how good he's been to you, how he gave up his life so that you can live. That, that ought, you ought to have a response. Jesus loved me so much that the least I can do is these things in return. I, I wanna know him more I want to spend my time having him, the, the, the God of the universe, speak to me through his scripture. Because I love him so much. Spend time with him in prayer. I want to go tell people about this Jesus because I love him so much. and People are missing out. People are missing out on who Jesus is and what he's done. The hope that is provided, the grace that is given and the mercy, brothers and sisters, I'll end with this today in verse 5. This is what I want you to leave with. Verse 5 says, remember then how far you have fallen. Most of us here have been walking with Christ for a long time, and I imagine our love has faded to an extent. But verse 5 says, remember how far you've fallen. Here's what you do. Repent and do the works you did at first. The honeymoon does not have to be over. We don't have to just, just give up and like, well, it's too late now. No, go back and do the works you did before. Rekindle that love that you have for Jesus. I want, to, want you to remember and think back about when you first encountered Christ. Right now. Remember back and think about
when you understood how Christ gave up his life so that you can live. You remember that realization? Like you mean, the God of the universe spoke and the universe left into existence and he sent his son to die for me? He gave up his life. It wasn't taken from him. He gave up his life. He died for something that I was supposed to die for. He lived the life that I was supposed to live but couldn't and did so perfectly. He conquered the grave for me. He, he now sits at the right hand of the Father praying for me. Who am I? I'm nobody. But he did that. He did all of that and more for you. There will be a day where God judges both the righteous and the unrighteous for all of their deeds. However, the Bible says that there is no one that is righteous. And a matter of fact, it says, no, not one. If you want to even think for a second, like, well, I, I do some good things. Like, no, not one. Not even you are righteous. The law was given so that we can see that we have a need for a savior. And brothers and sisters, his name is Jesus. Because Jesus gave up his life on a cross for you, if you would believe in him, you get his righteousness. We, you get adopted into his family and you get to spend eternity with him. That's what love looks like. We talk about love being an action, and that action is, is so great. And last week we talked about how immeasurable his love is for us. If you really love Jesus, what ought your life look like? Remember your first love. And it's not too late. The honeymoon doesn't have to be over. You can go back to doing what you did before. Repent, believe, and follow him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. We just get it wrong so many times that we, we have all these things vying for our thoughts and attention um, that, that we get misdirected and strayed. But Father, I thank you for this reminder here today. And I thank you for loving us in a way that um, we, we have not gone too far, that we have not done too much, that you still love us. And, and, I, and I'm grateful that we can uh, think about this and so we can repent of our ways and, and do what we did at first, to be on fire for you, to give our all for you, to totally and completely submit our lives to you. I look forward to that day where we get to spend forever and eternity with you. Father, I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.